Catherine. Catherine. What's going on, Brian? Sandy Stone. That's what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Yolanda. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, what are we saying, Mr. Decker? What we got going on tonight? Hey, everybody. Um, there is. It just started raining pretty heavy, so if there's a lot of background noise, let me know. Uh, it started happening here in the, the intro, guys. Um, beautiful night out here in the Smokies. It's raining. It's hot. It's muggy. I'm under a pavilion with a tin roof just to make sure I can get a solid signal. Uh, so I apologize if the noise isn't too much and my sound isn't too good, but I will do my best. Uh, tonight, guys, we are discussing UFOs or UAPs, depending on which generation you come from, talking about them. We have a very special guest tonight. When I think of UFOs, I think of this guy right here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Daniel Allen Jones. Allen Jones, come on down, brother. Welcome to the show there. How you doing there, sir? Welcome, welcome. Greetings. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. Grizzly, awesome. Justin, it's awesome, awesome to be here with you guys. Nice to have you there. Welcome, Ninja Day. Welcome, everybody, to the show. So introduce yourself. Tell us all about you. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think that, first off, I appreciate the two of you guys taking time to have this platform to share about some incredible information. Excellent intro. I think it's really important for people to be able to have something that they can go and check out that is about all of this stuff. And so when it comes to me, as you guys said, my name is Daniel Allen Jones. Uh, I am a musician foremost, I suppose, if not anything else, that's kind of my day job and what I've been focusing on for most of my life. But when it comes to the unexplained, I've been fascinated with all sorts of uh, the extraordinary phenomena that we as we were talking about a little bit earlier, we're really interested in um, when it comes to UFOs. That's been a big focus of mine, but I'm also fascinated with cryptozoology, you know, strange encounters of mystery creatures, animals, strange incidents that make us wonder what is out there, what's going on. Um, and are, are there things here that we're wondering about? So for the last, um, you know, over a decade now, uh, I've been researching and investigating a wide assortment of phenomena from UFO encounters to people's experiences, shamanism, uh, all of these different things, which to me uh, do seem to have some kind of tie into consciousness. So that's been a big you know, area of interest for me, but I've been involved with various groups around the Dallas and Fort Worth area um, over the last decade, and also have been involved with various events uh, about the many subject matters that we can get into as well as things like UFOs. So that's been a big part about my background with any of these types of things, as well as media work. And I have a platform that I share videos and things on as well called The Vortex. And so, you know, while tonight we can get into UFO issues and different things pertaining to that, I like to cover all kinds of other, you know, fascinating topics as well. And uh, and I just wanted to say it's uh, it's really awesome. It's been about a year since we first uh, got together, Justin and myself, and then we got to hang out at uh, the Mothman Festival last year, which is really awesome. And so I like to be able to get out and explore some of these fascinating sites that have history. And it's really awesome that some of them actually have events to celebrate and sort of commemorate some of this strange history as well. So I'm really interested to get into some, you know, conversation and we can 
you know, ask some interesting questions and I'm open to what people might like to, you know, share in the comments. So glad to be here with you guys. Thanks. Oh, this is awesome, man. Rock it on. Yeah. I, I told Justin, I was like, man, I was like, you know what? I was like, Daniel Allen Jones sounds like a musician. He started laughing. He's like, uh, dude, he is. I'm like, ah, there we go. That's funny. So yeah, that, that that's 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 uh, I like that. So yeah, what I'm a drummer just to be specific. <laughs> so what made um, you get in this field, a drummer? It's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, I think that throughout, um, you know, coming out of uh, adolescence into adulthood and just understanding things in a completely kind of new way, I, I kind of went through my own experiences and just understanding. Um, what I was experiencing at the time and things that made me question what reality uh, really is, like what's going on, if there's any kind of uh, ideas of spiritual connections or experiences and, and what that all means really for me personally, as well as the bigger picture. And for myself, um, that really prompted a lot of curiosity that, that I never really had before, is that it wasn't something that I you know, had as an upbringing and, and, and really in a strong way, I guess, influenced um, more than just kind of a fun part of like pop culture. I think a lot of these things are are deep seated in pop culture and in, in some way help to, you know, connect to the larger community in a way that's a little bit more subtle. And I think that because of that and my own upbringing, it, it, it caught my interest in a, a little bit more of a subconscious way, um, but it had always been something that I was really fascinated with in growing up, the, the idea of, you know, uh, other life forms and and uh, not only that and this sense of like aliens but also you know what it could mean to connect with something that's beyond the physical and uh that always was just kind of in the back of my mind but up until i was about uh i would say 2010 uh maybe at the time 19 20 years old um going through my own experiences it led me to question certain things about how i could find out more about these ideas and and more spiritual experiences which i wasn't really you know familiar with uh, before that. And I think that through reading, through amassing a large collection of literature, uh, which I love, and I, you know, uh, I really enjoy being able to share all kinds of different uh, publications and things, um, that that gave me an idea about what other people had described and had been writing about when it comes to uh, metaphysical studies and uh, studies on consciousness and, and reports of encounters with strange phenomena. And then all of these ideas that were something that I really just did a deep dive into at the time and found myself in a place that I felt like I was ready to get back out into society, really connect, um, you know, and be reintegrated with other like-minded individuals and maybe see if there are any groups or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, so that kind of started to springboard into what was available at the time for me in the area. And there were a few groups, uh, organizations that got together on like a monthly basis and would have a presentation or a talk or a meditation or things like this um, that helps to kind of facilitate networking and be able to connect with a larger community and, and in doing so find out more about a lot of these different studies. Um, but, and there are a lot of people who have been a part of that process and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I would say one of the main people who in my own path and all of this, who I got to connect with and I was very fortunate to know and, and to know well and to work with and to befriend and uh, really get to find out um, some intricate things throughout this journey I've been on um, would be Jim Mars, the late Jim Mars, who he was a, an author on many conspiratorial topics, things that were really challenging uh, by journalist standards to be able to cover and, and to 
work on investigating. And he wrote a number of books on many different challenging areas, um, as well as UFOs. And I was fortunate to have worked with him from about that time, 2010, until about, uh, unfortunately, the year he passed away, 2017, which is now six years ago to think this has already been that long. And, and so he helped me as I connected with him and some of the groups we were involved with uh, to connect with other researchers, uh, experiencers, and all these different people uh, of note, you know, that I got to become more familiar with and their work and, and how they kind of fit into these communities. And what I found for myself at the time was that I was as interested in the many types of phenomena as I was the communities of people interacting with these subjects. And, and in some way, either through their own interest, um, their own experience, or trying to understand it from whatever perspective that they're approaching it from. And so that's led me to realize after years and years that uh, how I approach a lot of this now in my own way is more uh, anthropological, meaning that while I do study anthropology and it is uh, of interest to me, I also look at this through the lens of cultural anthropology because these groups of people, um, and I'm just saying this kind of loosely as a, a whole, um, loosely affiliated community of individuals who interact on some basis, either online or in person, uh, on any number of these, let's say UFOs. Some people say ufology, which can be the study of UFOs, but also the community and sort of culture of, of people and, and things, materials and all of this. So when it comes to other uh, you know, groups, things, people who are involved with the paranormal, so-called paranormal community, or like cryptozoology, the cryptid, community, things like that. There's a lot of crossover and there are a lot of uh, things that you start to notice in being involved with these groups and these social kind of uh, interactions help to, I think, give a sense of, of how people, uh, you know, interact in a, in a way that basically, you know, one might in any social setting, but also give you a sense of what the um, modes of interaction are, the ways of communicating, the, uh, the practices, the beliefs of some, uh, how they operate. And essentially, you know, as an, and me approaching this as an anthropologist, I look at how many of these groups uh, are doing very similar things. Their, their ways and of interaction and all of this are actually, um, you know, very reflective of how different groups can, you know, elicit something that they're trying to, um, you know, in some way elicit a response from something. If they're out in the woods, let's say, and I think it's awesome, Justin, that you're out there. You're out in the field right now. You know, you're you're in the element. That's that's great. You know, I think that um, more people should be able to experience things like that. But in doing so, some people, they get out there and they want to be able to find something and they'll do things. They'll do noises, uh, calls, they'll, they'll bait. They'll try to do things to try to elicit a response from something, uh, whether it's some creature or maybe if they're out in the field and they're doing what some people call heists or CE5. They're trying to commune with something beyond, you know, they're trying to elicit a response and to get interaction and in some way to try to confirm to in their mind, you know, that they're not only are they not alone, but they're here, they're connecting and they're communicating uh, and, and making contact um, initiated from us as, as people, not from them to us necessarily. So some people try to do these things and I've just taken the time to try to study through different groups how these different ways of interacting, you know, may have similarities or not, uh, or differences. And it's just like paranormal groups going out into a so-called haunted location, trying to use readers, meters, uh, recorders, or the old-fashioned organic intuition and all of these things to try to see what they can sense, feel, detect, um, or get in response to some activity, right? So I think all of these different areas of fascination to me 
show that there's a lot we can learn, not just about this potential um, wide array of phenomena, but also what the communities of people have helped to kind of provide a framework for in understanding uh, culturally and, and scientifically, which I think is really exciting. So I know that's that's really long-winded, but I just wanted to say that to me, that's kind of where it, it's led me in all of this. And uh, so while I produce media on many different topics, I've been fortunate to connect because of people like Jim Mars uh, to other individuals who have something pretty extraordinary to share or that have some kind of experience and are willing to come forward. And I think it's thanks to some of the many, many of the, the individuals, the experiencers or those who have something um, that they're willing to share about that, that we have things that we can learn potentially glean insight from because they're willing to come forward and in a world where that's very difficult to do um it's thanks to uh, you know like you you guys and, and other people who are allowing their um allowing there to be platforms to uh, to be able to share these types of things on so appreciate you guys doing this and i think that's kind of where a lot of people are is they're wanting to know about their own experiences and they're wanting to know about how it fits into the bigger picture of what uh, all of this really is and means yeah, well, we try to perform or provide a, a safe area, right? A platform for people to come for and like, hey, you know, I'm not alone. I do have encounters or experiences. Now, the million dollar question, do you believe in extraterrestrials out there in space? <laughs> that is a great question, um, but I'll, I'll qualify it. And here's what I'll say, because some people might be surprised. I'll say, no, I don't believe that there are um, extraterrestrials in, in anywhere, because to me, it's, it's not a religious issue. It's not a matter of if I believe it or I don't believe it. Um, it's a statistical probability that if we understand the universe as our scientific models have assessed, that it should be teeming with life. It should be that with the innumerable amount of not just planets, but galaxies, you know, that are far beyond what we previously thought, you know, just a few decades ago, then it would seem that if half of half of 1% of any of those could potentially be habitable, uh, it's a matter of where, where is this life? Where are the extraterrestrial intelligences? And that brings another question up is that I do think that it seems that as if maybe in this idea that our models are correct of the universe, that there's life out there somewhere. Is it just microbial? Is it incredibly intelligent, vastly beyond us in advanced capacities that you know are interacting here on Earth? I think that's the real question that I think people really are getting at when they're asking something like that, is that are there aliens and are they here, are they visiting? And I think that it's one of the things that make us wonder, do all these UFO sightings, these UAP reports, as you mentioned earlier, seems to give us the impression that they're not just, you know, some kind of secretive technologies or misidentifications, but that there actually could be uh, forms of life that are not just here on Earth. And maybe that's another uh, interesting curiosity that, that makes us wonder, is there something else here that we just haven't, you know, definitively been able to pin down? But are these other life forms out in the universe traversing these vast distances somehow to be able to come all the way here and for what? I think that's the really interesting question. But I do, I would say just to, to put a finer point on my answer is that I would say, it would seem as though if our science and models are correct, that the universe should be teeming with life and that it would be weird now to think that maybe we are alone um, and that there isn't any form of life out there, even if it's simple and, or even microbial, but are there humanoid, intelligent aliens walking around in, in cities on other worlds um, 
I mean, it just seems statistically that there has to be. Um, and even if there's not, that's even more strange. <laughs> so I would say that, yeah, I think that there are there are intelligences out there and they might not always be physical, but they're out there somewhere and wherever there is. And I think that if we can figure things out enough as, as far as we have here, there's probably a lot going on out there and maybe even something happening right here on Earth. And we just haven't really been able to understand in, in, in different ways we might have different interpretations culturally and historically. And now we're at a point, I think, where we have technological uh, advances that help us to understand things in our world that maybe we didn't or we couldn't have just a hundred years ago. Um, and I think because of those, we start to, to modify some of these ideas that uh, the questions we've been asking for a long time, like, do, do we believe in UFOs or do we believe in aliens? And I think that a lot of people have come forward, even on like national television and said, this is, this is probably not the most appropriate way to address this question is that we're not at a point anymore where, where people need to believe if, if it, if it exists or not, because the government, if not, anyone's already unsure, the government has very, um, very much made it clear that the, the phenomenon of UFOs is legitimate. It is a real phenomenon. The question is, what are they? Um, so the idea of do we should we think of uh, this as do we believe in UFOs? Uh, and I know you asked, do we do I believe in extraterrestrials? I think is a really important thing for us to all kind of wonder about and, and reframe the whole query. You know, and I think that that helps us to really understand that maybe it's all about our questioning as well and how we can really um, see that it does have a lot to do with the cultural shift of perception and with all of this as well. But I think that there's life here that um you know we don't have to necessarily go look out there i mean people talk about non-human intelligence um the world is full of non-human intelligence and it's seen all around us we interact with it on a regular basis but we seem to like things very much uh, in a more exotic fashion so sometimes that gets conflated with aliens and that's important for us to think about too so i think that if not anything else if 99 percent of all ufo reports are nothing and totally mistaken or secret government projects, and that still leaves the possibility that half of half of one percent could very well mean that there's something to it. And I think that's all you really need uh, to confirm, not just to you know the the people who haven't experienced that they are already in their own conviction, you know, confirmed of that, but that the the world at large has to have something substantial enough beyond claims, in my view, that will help a cultural shift of perception on this. So. There's, in my view, definitely something else going on, and it should make anyone curious, if not anything else. All right, two questions. Nicole wants to ask, do you think aliens might be linked to AI? And second question, do you believe that Eisenhower really met in the middle of the night with his dentist? Or do you think he met with the aliens in the hangar to sign a peace treaty? What do you <laughs> think? <laughs> Hey, um, great question. Yeah, 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 here, jump in. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to move to a, a different location so I can try and hear you guys better. I'm going to phase out, but I'm still going to be listening. All right. Okay. All great. right. Just let you guys know, I'll still be here. I'm just going to move real quick on the move. That's great. Well, right. I do think I would say it seems like as far as those two questions, uh, the AI question is interesting. We should really be, uh, being considerate about how that does play into it. Um, I think that there could be some important uh, repercussions about our own involvement with AI and what it can tell us and help teach us maybe in some way about other intelligence. Um, 
there's a book by Nick Bostrom called Superintelligence. I would highly recommend looking into that, um, as well as there's a NASA historian named Stephen Dick who described that a Royal Sciences Royal Society meeting on science about extraterrestrials that in 2010 described that if we did find other uh, technologies out in space, that it would probably be uh, AI. Um, or not just that, but also it would be, um, as he said, quote, immortal thinking machines. And I think that people have given some serious thought about this. And uh, it seems that if any intelligence is sufficient enough to get through um, the great filter, as it's sometimes referred to, uh, I, I would say that if we you know, don't over-personify it and, and think about just our own sort of human-centric way of looking at the universe, it could be very well that AI is something that uh, is utilized to a large degree by other advanced civilizations for a number of reasons. And it could be a physical one, it could be uh, a non-physical one, uh, maybe both. But I would say that one of the challenges we face now is that as we continue to, to integrate that into our own society, um, it might be something that we just have to be careful with, but also could uh, be a double-edged sword because it could provide some answers to all these questions that maybe help us to establish a very consistent way of interfacing with intelligences that are not human in a way that we don't really have, that uh, we seem to not really have publicly or, or at least known. So I do think that there's some connections between non-human intelligence and AI. AI is a form of non-human intelligence in some way. And then the, the other question about Eisenhower and the meeting, um, obviously I don't know, I wasn't there. I think that it's an interesting idea that we can speculate on and that there are people that who have come forward and said that it did happen or it was all, it's all nonsense. But I do think that there, there could be some possibility to what it, uh, the implications of what it inspires us to consider. If, if this is something that actually has happened, then it makes us wonder if, if there are aliens, if there are other entities that are non-humans, they're here, whether they're from another planet or they're from another part of this world or another world or something physical or not. Either way, if there is something else that we interact with that has gone as far uh, by some kind of diplomatic means as to establish a physical interface with a president of you know a, a world nation that i would say is is probably one of the most significant historic um you know points in in, in our own history that you know if if haven't hasn't actually happened then it's hard to really say what that could really mean for us if that actually happened as people describe with you know meeting um i think what is it at holloman and these beings coming out and uh you know, they talk about how some of them basically either had um, Egyptian regalia or some kind of headdress or things that seemed uh, to be uh, ancient human looking. Um, but then there's also the talk about the treaties with ideas of the greys and exchanges of technology for people and trafficking and, and, and all of these things. There, there are ideas about how treaties have been made um, and people who have come forward recently uh, add some to that, maybe not, I don't want to necessarily just say credibility, but I would just say that they're adding that these things are part of the discussion that have been tossed around in the lore of ufology for some years. And I would say that it's important to pay attention to the stories, um, but to not believe them wholeheartedly. But in my own view as a reporter and researcher, to, be, to remain objective, to look at the best evidence all around and not just one side or the other, but to just maybe, you know, uh, you can establish your own assessment on the situation because of what information is available but also at the same time still have withheld judgment because some people what people obviously want that to be a real story 
people want there to be interactions between high le- high level officials and government and military and and real uh, off world or you know cryptic intelligences that are here in our world somehow. So I don't know. It's a fascinating idea. I hope that maybe in some way it did happen, but not in the since that we signed a treaty that you know allows them to take people i mean there's some dark stuff i think to, to the, these ideas but i do feel like it's important to get it out and to share that this isn't a new idea you know people have been discussing this for a while but i hope that kind of gives a sense of my own take on it um it seems like there's a lot of people who describe officials um, i mean a president's a little bit different i think that if we do have a point to where we have to acknowledge this publicly it, it should probably come from a, a council of world leaders not a singular figure not not just a president, but definitely not a, 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 a defense spokesperson, like someone from the military. I don't really think that that's probably the approach that, in my view, is appropriate. I think that if we're going to announce to not just America um, or, um, or the you know, greater Americas, North and South America, um, but the world at large, that we need a group of, of constituents that can get together um, nonpartisan and say, hey, this is important for humanity. Uh, we're not alone. You know, I don't think it should come down to one person. And it, it seems weird that in the, it's the essence of what a lot of people think America's all about, trying to be the big, biggest, best, and, and first, you know, that we haven't come forward and made any major revelations and, and a, by way of announcing a declaration of, of the existence of aliens. That hasn't happened. And as, as the, the irony of it is that America always seems to want to be like number one. We haven't done that. And so I'm, I'm surprised in some way, but in some way relieved that maybe if there are significant instances throughout history where this is happening, this it's been handled by sociologists and in a way that helps prepare for what some people think is an ongoing attempt at disclosure. I don't know that it's going to happen the way that people want to, but I think that if there are interactions between non-humans and government officials of any caliber, that um, that this information is revealed at some point very soon, that it's important maybe that we as a, a group of people uh, you know, global citizens that we can acknowledge that we're not the only intelligence, not only in the universe, but but here. Uh, I think it's really important that it helps us kind of give us perspective and and then therefore set a new standard of awareness in society overall. Um, you know, and in some way, hopefully, a, a shift, a paradigm shift, as Thomas Kuhn would say, and and uh, you know, go elevate humanity. Right. Right. All right, here now they are firing questions across your <laughs> bow very quickly. So, Nicole, number one, do you believe in time travel? Because sometimes I think she says time is linear, so we can go back and forth. And the other question, what do you think about the Phoenix light? Cool, I, I love the um, like the the diversity of the questions. They're not in some way like directly related, but this is fun. Um, and I'll, I'll be a little bit more succinct with my answers because we could go on all night. Um, again, you know, in my view, we have to reframe the, the query. Uh, it's not to me, not a matter of, do I believe in time travel? Um, I know, I think I, I understand that the question is inferring, is it out there? And really have we manufactured or engineered something that can uh, allow for that to be a mechanic that we can somehow exploit, right? Um, I don't have a belief on it. I would say that it seems very conventional physics dictate that any movement, celestial movement for that matter, is time travel. Uh, Any movement physically is time travel. Um, So it's just how we understand time. Oh, we got them. They they didn't take him yet, or they brought him back maybe. So Justin, you with us? 
Looks like he's there. And, and, uh, and I, th- I thought he was getting ready to do a broadcast. This is a national broadcast alert. Justin Decker has been uh, alienated. <laughs> we heard that beep. <laughs> <laughs> it brought him back. Well, hope you're here and, and can uh, How's tell that? Us. Any better? Yeah, that's better. Yeah, you're coming through. Hopefully you can hear us too. Um, glad to have you here with us, Justin, out in the field. That's, that's great. Um, but to, so we were talking about time travel, and I'll just put it simply that I think that um, the idea of understanding temporal space, which is time, uh, that the temporal dimension is time, that the fourth dimension, first dimension, second dimension, third dimension, all this fourth dimension is time. Uh, not in the metaphysical sense that people have kind of just sort of hijacked and talked about, you know, fifth dimension and all this. It's like, those are just ideas that people tout as uh, spiritual concepts, but, in, in, and maybe that's exactly what a lot of scientific concepts are too. But, you know, in the, in the practice of applied sciences, it seems that uh, the engineering that goes into a lot of um, any, anything that's, that's automated or not necessarily automated, but like uh, any locomotion, any aviation, any vehicles, like we all account for time um, and movement. And so to encapsulate all of that, I do think that, you know, if we're trying to understand how to go back in time, the whole grandfather paradox thing comes into play. And people ask, if you go back in time and you kill your grandfather, will you ever exist in that timeline? So then people ask about our timelines, a thing um, or asking about, uh, ideas in tech, in, of technology like this concept of the chronovisor, looking through into different timelines and things like that. Um, I, I have no idea. Honestly, that seems like it's fascinating to conceptualize. And I think that we have to leave it at conceptualization unless there are actual forms of, of, of engineering and manufacturing taking place either behind closed doors or, or by some intelligence to us uh, unbeknownst to the, the public. And if there are spaceships traversing space like rockets it, it seems incredibly impractical because it's not convenient for even us sometimes to think about how to get back out into the far reaches of space by blasting off on a rocket we would think that instead of going from like a to b which does seem in a linear trajectory to be the, the best thing that we may be able to like bring a and b together and punch a hole through it which is a wormhole you know so we get to asking these questions that become very theoretical, which is why we call it theoretical physics. Um, and people like Michio Kaku, who, when I got to see him in 2014, it's been almost 10 years, you know, he was talking about the future of physics and these ideas about what time travel will be like, um, how something like that will, would be, if at all, accessible to the common person and not just the, you know, the scientific elite or whoever, you know. I think this is important for us to think about if we have a time machine. I mean, it's like a car. Everyone, you know, loosely saying most people have a car, you know, and if you don't, then, you know, you can think about just how, how readily available vehicles are to most every citizen in, in uh, the world, you know, and then maybe not everybody, but like how it's easy for people to drive off and do whatever, but we attempt to abide by these laws of traffic. Think of the same thing, but for a flying car. Now it becomes a little bit more complicated because then you can have people flying everywhere. Air traffic control gets wild. So if we just crank out time machines, who's to, and they work, you know, who's to stop anyone from just going to any time, anywhere with, with, without ever having any repercussions? Um, so I think that it, it provides a lot of challenge for science to 
um, consider. It's kind of the Jurassic Park thing. Like you never stop to ask, not that if you could, but if you should, right? So is it really something that we should be getting into is just making a time machine that people can just go and do anything with? So time machines are something that we are thinking of. How do we engineer this? Time travel is a real thing because when planets move, it's time travel. Um, when we move, it's time travel. It's just on a micro or macro scale. Scalar intervals are an important part about understanding time and movement because they are interlinked. Time-space, the time-space, or some say space-time continuum, right? This is a really important part about how we understand the fifth dimension and this fabric in which all connects us together. It's fascinating. So I do think that question is important for us to ponder and that if vehicles from other intelligence are utilizing this type of uh, travel that maybe they're not just coming from another planet, but they could be utilizing dimensional travel um, and, and things that we understand now uh, just barely are understanding at this point. They probably have understood and not just understood, but are engineering things within that understanding. And that's kind of how we understand scientific engineering capabilities that we've only been doing for the last like few hundred years compared to a, a civilization potentially utilizing millions or billions of years of of engineering capabilities. Um, so to, to kind of help tangent into that next question about, let's say, the, the Phoenix Lights incident of Phoenix, Arizona in 1997, a giant formation of strange lights in a kind of somewhat of a boomerang or delta or triangular formation was seen above the city by numerous people, in, in, including pilots um, and city officials. If this wasn't just nothing at all <laughs> or flares, um, or some kind of, better yet, secret government experiment, then maybe it could be a product of that advanced engineering that we were just talking about. If that there are intelligences out there that can engineer something to come from, you know, a star system light years away to get to here, then it makes us question that if some of these sightings are legitimately vehicles, if that's what they are, um, from other places, other worlds, other dimensions, other times and, and spaces in reality, um, then it makes us wonder, how did they come up with that type of artifact, technology, whatever it is, uh, to be able to get from wherever they did to here in a way that um, they did it enough to get it down? Because just like we do with every type of invention we come out with, it's not just like usually the first one works perfect and then we got it. It's like we, we go through some trials and tribulations. And maybe that could be why we see some of these so-called crash ufo cases and so it makes us wonder are there instances where even though we seem to think that how could aliens all these years ahead of us crash from something you know so simple and it makes us wonder that just seems so weird it's a paradox in and of itself and i think anyone should question the stories that we hear about ufo crash cases and better yet the retrievals of these crash cases makes us wonder have these been back engineered have have special programs behind closed doors within government, military, and private contractors gotten their hands on some non-human technologies and not only that, reverse or backward engineered them to be able to utilize some kind of form of, of uh, our own manufacturing to come up with how to do this for humans, human people like us, I guess. So, you know, unfortunately, we don't see that out, you know, coming out from Honda or like, you know, it's Sony or something. There are these corporations that might have this that are, are in the private sector that are not letting this uh, out to the world. And that's, I think, a, a travesty. And it should be something that, uh, you know, we should all hope that could happen because it could mean a lot 
not just for transportation, but for energy and how we could help the entire world in many different ways. And I do think that the Phoenix Lights was an important incident, uh, not just the phenomenon itself, but how it affected society because it was one of the most renowned sightings with many credible witnesses. There was a press conference where the mayor, Fife Symington, came out. And I've interacted with people who have seen the lights. Uh, one, Dr. Lynn Katai, who ended up producing a documentary about it and having a, a video footage of the, the lights that she seemed to see uh, back in March uh, 25th, uh, 15th of, of 1997. I think it, it's really important for us to consider that uh, you know, that there could be something beyond just flares to the Phoenix lights. And it's, it's strange also the increments 50 years after Roswell happened. And maybe that there's, there's nothing really to that, but, you know, so that's, I think an important incident for us all to keep in mind. And a lot of productions have made, you know, things about the Phoenix lights. Um, there's a movie or a documentary or movie, I guess you could say the Phoenix incident that came out. So a lot of interesting things. And it's one to definitely keep in mind the Phoenix lights from 1997 giant craft it could have been something uh all connected as some people describe like a mile long um and it seems far-fetched for us to consider if th those are humans up there um and if that is the case if those were humans then that's amazing uh and unfortunate but it just seems it's easier for, pe for people to immediately be like there's no way humans could have that so it must be aliens and that might not really be the case it, it could be um but it's hard to really say what we're really capable of when we have um, potentially <laughs> unlimited resources. So, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. So, so, what, so they are shooting more rounds across your bow. So, what do you think about the Las Vegas crash? Thank you, Long Long. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday, girl. <laughs> awesome. Um, I'll just make that one simple. I don't. I don't think much about it. I don't really know that there's. Uh, I think it's a story that the media picked up. It became sensational. Um, I don't know that it, it could technically be called a crash. I don't know that there's any strong evidence to insinuate that anything crashed. I think that we have a body cam footage from a police officer of something falling. Um, but maybe it did happen. I don't know. I obviously wasn't there. I think that it was something that the media attempted to pick up on because of the. Um, the the trend of UFOs right now is a very hot topic, which is, is cool in some ways, but it's also, it, it makes it to where situations like this people, this family comes forward and describes something which some people can say, I believe it, that they're the real deal. And some people say, absolutely not. This was all a prank. It's a hoax. And, and there's no really, I mean, people will make up their minds either way. I don't know that there's anything to it. Um, I think if it really did happen, uh, and it was a real, like, you know, object that fell. Like, it, it would be probably easy to get some things if, if unless something extremely weird to where it just didn't. I mean, obviously, the story is weird that people saw humanoids. But it makes us wonder, are there any truths, I guess? Is, is there any reality to the stories that uh, people do describe? Not just of this recent Las Vegas one, but of, of instances throughout all of history of, of objects not just seen in the sky aerial objects but also things that might potentially come down either you know by means of landing or crashing um and then also humanoids or entities by association with it and there are several cases or reports and, and stories of this happening in many ways not just in the states but other places around the world and it makes us wonder is there any truth to not just this recent one but about what other people have described in a very similar way so i don't know uh, as far as the las vegas one i would say that you know, it's very unlikely that that'll hit the news again. 
it had its 15 minutes of fame and nothing probably came from that or will, unfortunately. And if so, we'll see. But I don't know that there's really anything to glean from it other than it tried, it was an attempt to keep the hype up for uh, things that came afterward in the media. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when I first saw that, I was like, really? And then, then you see people, you know, a week later coming out with guns. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, you think there's aliens in the backyard and you're coming out with pistols? I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. Now, that, that was just me, right? Now, what do you think about people seeing these skyscrapers flying in, in the sky? Now, how is that? Now, how can you explain that? Um, that's a good question. I, you know... I, I know that there are some CGI videos of things like that. I hear some of those things. I don't know any, if anyone that I can think of really that, that describes skyscrapers in the sky. Um, honestly, if that's happening, that um, seems to me to, to indicate something either to the effect of something being utilized out of our own mind. I mean, a skyscraper, if, you, if someone describes having an account of viewing something to the effect of a skyscraper building that one might see in a downtown area, that seems very uh, like a human archetype. So either this is where it diverges in people's theories of ideas in this field, either if it is an intelligence that's not directly a projection of that individual's mind, then some intelligences uh, may project something for the interpreter to experience that would make sense or not, I guess, to them but that has some relevance in their own worldview uh, or scope of, of existence that, you know, might not necessarily have uh, answered that kind of question. But I do think like uh, people see things beyond just discs or lights. Um, they see articulated objects. They see um, certain ideas of geometry uh, and, and motion and uh, things become animate. Um, when it comes to build, full-on building skyscrapers, seeing like a city in the sky type thing, um, I'm a little bit more hesitant. I, I would say that it's hard to really feel maybe convinced that, that, that those are legitimate claims. But again, I, have, I do what I can to remain level-headed. I think it's fascinating. I'll hear, I'll hear anyone's account out. I think it's important to hear people out, give them a, a chance to, to share what they have. Um, but also, to, to in my own view, I, I consider myself skeptical, not doubtful or dismissive, but but curious. I'm I'm curious if someone tells me they saw a, a flying sky, skyscraper, then it makes me wonder: Did they? What would have there else have there been for that to have happened in a way for them to really see seem like they are interpreting what they accurately see in the sky as a skyscraper? That to me is extremely challenging to wrap my own mind around. But hey, if people are seeing it. Let's see what's going on. Uh, it makes us wonder, is there something that maybe they had happened that is ha allowing for them to experience that optically in a real way? Um, or is it a projection, a mental projection? Or is it something that's literally a form of intelligence, aliens or anything else, that's utilizing the imagery of a skyscraper and their mind to project back onto them? And so some people talk about this as an idea of screened memories or projected uh visualizations and things like that i don't know uh it's hard for me to say what a flying skyscraper would be other than if it looks like it's a human building um 
makes me wonder a little bit more about like the person and maybe what they had going on and other details that you might take if you're attempting to gather data for a report of the incident. All right, Justin, go ahead. Yeah, well, I know uh, to that specific point, there is a phenomenon that basically creates an optical illusion of a town or sometimes mountains floating in the sky. And it has to do with, with moisture, you know, raindrops in the air kind of a thing and how light refracts, uh, refraction and gives you an optical illusion of them floating. So that is a known phenomenon to have happened. Um, but that doesn't, you know, necessarily explain away every single situation. Uh, I just know scientifically that has been shown to happen when there are certain weather atmospheric conditions are, are around. So that does happen where you could literally see the whole city looking like it's up in the clouds. Um, that, that does happen. And so, you know, a single skyscraper, I don't know, like you said, that, that kind of brings a whole other round of stuff going on. Um, but there is some scientific precedence to seeing like cities in the sky. Well, and that's just another a good point. I'll just mention quickly that, you know, if unless it's something that is meteorological, if people are seeing things that somehow are misinterpreted or are caused by natural phenomena, naturally occurring meteorological phenomena, then that's okay. But it's still interesting for people, you know, scientists and people who can understand weather yeah. and all these other things, like you said, and seeing things out at sea. That's another challenge for us is mm -hmm. that we know when we look out at sea, we can sometimes see off in the distance boats or something appearing uh, like it's elevated because of all of the different things that happen across the water. It's an interesting type of effect. Um, but yeah. to another point is that people often consider a more uh, conspiratorial angle of this idea of Project Blue Beam, the notion that there's a projection, not just by aliens, but by something to the effect of a government or military um, sort of behind the scenes program of something being utilized to project things, visual images. And we know that projection technologies have improved even in the public yeah. domain. So forget about the, the private sector. It's probably been mastered for years um, and well ahead of anything we see in the public. But if that is something that can happen, it makes us wonder, are there any other instances where people describe what they seem to think are as physical UFOs in their mind, physical, they're actually projections by something mm -hmm. like, a project blue beam concept where it's being used um, for psychological purposes. Um, it's, it's not really something I think that is a, you know, a consideration a, a lot of the time, but we have to consider that if that really is the case, um, are people experiencing auditory um, visual or hallucinatory effects um, being emitted upon them by their own government or by private parties or some form of agency who has the capability of doing this that is not in any way extraterrestrial, but is very well based here on Earth. And that makes this question, like, who's got the technology to do this? Um, is it ethical? All of these things pop up. So that, those are good questions. Yeah, I believe firmly that uh, advanced military technology probably runs anywhere from 100 to 200 years above where the public is at. So anything that we're seeing now as new tech has been around for 100 years when it comes to the military technology. Um, the, the, some of the stuff that I've gotten into and I've heard about, and I've talked on the show a couple of times, just kind of blows your mind, especially when you're talking about, um, like holographs and their, their ability to project them. Um, and then their, their ability to stimulate our brains, how they want to, you know, via different electrical waves or different, you know, things like that. Um, 
I think that technology is definitely out there and it's just getting more and more put out into the public as they're kind of testing how the public reacts to certain things, right? Like, like recently, the government coming out and admitting that, that UFOs and UAPs are real, um, I, I think that's a lot of gauging how the public's going to be reacting to stuff, you know? Um, I, I think a lot of the, the things that have happened in the past 10, 15 years, uh, whether it be um, things like health crisis that we've gone through in the, the past 10, 15 years, uh, not just COVID, but swine flu, H1N1 flus, avian flus, all those things. I think a lot of those, maybe not necessarily specifically engineered, but the data collected from all that kind of stuff is going into a collective database to see how the general public is going to react under certain specific situations, you know? And so uh, Project Bluebeam, to me, well, I'm not going to say yes or no on it. I think it's a feasible concept of them kind of continuing on in that line to see, hey, if we do this, how are people going to react? And I think it's a big kind of psyops thing going on on the general public and not just in the U.S., but all around the world, you know, absolutely. And UFOs could be a big part of that. I, I know, um, are, are you familiar with um, the Sarpo incident? Um, where suppose, right? Okay, yeah, I see the look. Um <laughs> Can you give us a rundown, give the audience a rundown of the SARPO incident and what you know about it? Sure. Well, I guess the main idea is that there was a project where Project SARPO, as they called it, because they sent some people to the planet they called SARPO. Basically, there was this idea of an agreement between some military personnel and beings from a planet that is being referred to as SARPO to bring them over there. And I think there were 12 people, 12 individuals, military yep. personnel, if I remember, who went to planet Serpo and something they called Project Serpo and were there for some time and then eventually came back. Um, or maybe some didn't. And there's, it's very convoluted. Yeah. It's some, some totally, totally write it off and are dismissive of it. Some say it's the real deal. Um, and I think that it just is one of those stories out uh, in the lore of ufology that is difficult to find any real way to substantiate beyond um, just taking their word for it, which unfortunately is kind of a large part of people's belief mm -hmm. in these ideas and these stories that they, they hear personalities, they hear stories from figures who have um, platforms or followings or uh, who are maybe even persuasive or not, and then utilize the information for their own purposes. So I think that this idea of Planet Serpo, again, it insinuates that there's interaction not just that uh, people in government or military here are, are, are interacting with non-human beings, but that this took place uh, on another world, off world. Mm -hmm. um, and one of those that I think uh, a good, a bit of a tangent off of this is that there uh, was a, uh, a British hacker uh, who got into the NASA's files. His name was Gary McKinnon. Mm -hmm who looked into something, a lot of things, but one of the things he looked into was a list, apparently a list of non-terrestrial officers. Um, and that makes us wonder what that really is supposed to mean, because that sounds very exotic and like it could mean, wow, we've got people up there out, out somewhere, you know, in, in the far reaches of space. Or it could mean something as simple as anyone up on the ISS is a technically a non-terrestrial officer. Yep. So... There are a lot of things that we have to keep in mind when it comes to understanding things like that. So are those people out on planet Serpo non-terrestrial officers? Sure. If they are, 
people who are actually out there or were. Um, so those types of things make us wonder, like, has the stuff really been going on? Like, have these ideas of planetary travel, interplanetary communications and travel and all of this been a, a real thing since, you know, decades ago? So Project Serpo, S-E-R-P-O, um, is something that people wonder about. Has this happened or have things like this actually happened? Um, and so that's something I, I would say I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to wholeheartedly, but I think it's important to just pay attention to the story. I did meet Len Caston, who wrote a, the, one of the defining books on the incident. And, uh, you know, he thought enough of it to, to share the research that went into trying to understand what that story uh, and those reports were all about. So that would be one I would consider as Project Serpo, book by Lynn Caston. I know um, I was list- uh, recently listening to a podcast about uh, that Project Serpo, and he was uh, claiming that in his research, he came across the idea that it was simply a kind of a military Cold War uh, distraction tactic, that it was really only released secret papers kind of a thing, uh, for the Russians to find, to kind of screw with them, basically, and, and, and mess with them and, and their technology and all this kind of stuff, um, trying to uh, give a false impression of what we're doing and kind of what's going on. Um, and so I thought that angle is very fascinating and interesting because that is definitely something I think the government would do as a misdirection technique. Um, and what do you think about that? Have you heard of that angle of it at all? And, and what do you think of the validity of that is? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the term misdirection. I think that the, the idea of a, a misdirect has been used in a lot of ways. Um, it's a psychological operation. It's not something that I think, unfortunately, that, that um, you know, and I'm saying this loosely, like the U.S. has yeah. done on its own people. Um, obviously, the U.S. is made up of many, many things, but it's it's a challenge because we see this uh, this idea maybe being employed, uh, or the idea of it is to be employed upon other nations, um, like you said, for maybe potentially adversarial nations, Russia or whatever. Um, But people maybe have to also consider that this is something that could be done on its own people. And that's what's what a big consideration is right now, and probably has been for a long time in the, the UFO community, is that anything potentially some people see the government coming out and saying, in some people's minds, is all disinformation and is all a misdirect because they're trying to utilize it for a distraction to do whatever as a catalyst to instigate some other thing um, or a number of mm-hmm. issues to help for political gain. Now, the, the challenge is that, yes, we know that these things probably do take place. Are UFOs a part of that? And that's that's a challenge for some of those who wonder, is everything in the news right now uh, really going on? Is it really important? Or is it all just something getting, you know, helping to amp up as some people might think, you know, the, the next, uh, the election next year or something like that, is it getting, you know, a lot of attention to help build up media in a way that gets people connecting to, uh, the UFO topic to political ideas. And I think that's really important to consider how things, and you made a good point, Justin, earlier about the idea of, of things which affect society either detrimentally or whatever, um, whether it's diseases or or anything like that, whether engineered or not, and I want to be careful about saying this because some people think this yeah. could go in a whole other direction. But I'll just say this. Whether people think that things have been engineered um, as a hindrance or population control mechanism or whatever um, or not, we definitely see the repercussions or, or the response, I would say, by many companies or whoever 
um, in an attempt to exploit what happens either way and try to learn from that, do science about it, do, you know, do whatever they can to um, exploit a situation politically, scientifically, technologically, um, medicinally. Um, you know, a lot of those things that happen, especially in the health industry, med the medicine industry, the medical field learns from situations that happen or they we I would like to think that we we try to do what we can to learn from those situations. So it seems that exploiting situations, whether they're naturally occurring or not, does happen. So should it happen for UFO situations and things like that? It probably is a big part of it. It could be maybe. Um, but the other challenge is, is that are these things being used in a way to to misdirect people and to to doing one thing or the other. And I think that's where a lot of people, they feel like that is happening. But we also have to remember, like, and, and at least in my view, you can't just go off of feelings alone, although it is important to pay attention to what we feel and how we can align that with what we're experiencing and what we can cooperate with, you know, by, by way of most people needing to have something that's really substantial and not just saying that they're basing something off of a person's claims or that, you know, we just need to hear it from so-and-so and take their word for it. If we have something that comes forward in a way that is extremely compelling, um, that's important. If it's convincing, that's the the where we where we need change. Compelling is exciting because it can be something that people will turn their heads and say, "Wow, what is this?" But if, unless it's convincing, it's probably not going to have an effect that is going to be a, a big uh, of an effect that we would need for societal changes to occur. Um, and I think right now what we're seeing with the hearings, with these things going on in Congress, um, this is compelling, but it's not yet. It shouldn't be, in my view, convincing because no, nothing's been provided by way of proof. You know, and I know that a lot of people say, well, you know, they'll never show this. They'll never come forward. Well, maybe. Um, but if their claim that has been put on the table now officially that we, the government somewhere, someone has non-human technology, non-human materials, non-human um, biologics, as it's being said, or just non-human intelligence in general, uh, then that's incredible. That's an incredible claim. And a lot of people don't like the Sagan standard, which is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. But, but honestly, I mean, and some people would say, well, there's no such thing as extraordinary evidence. There's just evidence. But the whole idea of that quote, at least in my view, um, is that it's contextual. Extraordinary claims would be like saying with this guy, David Grutch has come forward and said at this congressional hearing recently, just last month on the 26th of July, this year, 2023, it's pretty historic to consider that maybe if what this person is saying is all factually correct and true to his best uh, knowledge, then, then that means that there's a lot going on behind closed doors that many people have suspected for a long time that we could potentially bring forward, hopefully at some point, and, and show to not just corroborate the claims, but to, to provide convincing things for the public. And I think that if we can do that, it'll, it'll show people something. But this is all to say that depending on the manner in which they do that, they can elicit a response from society that might yield yeah. certain results like this. Here's this technology. Now let's help the rest of the world and do great things with it. That would be amazing. Or the total opposite could occur and they say, here it is. But the thing is that these aliens are evil and they're coming to invade us. So we need to get ready for war. And it's really scary and all of this stuff. And they could totally make it out to be 
something um, awful. Now, obviously, I don't hope for that, but it's just, and I'm making that a very lighthearted extreme. But the whole idea is that depending on the manner in which this it becomes um, acknowledged, I think, and, and how that becomes a catalyst potentially for something is important to pay attention to see how it becomes utilized or exploited into something else. We need to pay attention to what's going on. I don't think people should outright just believe everything necessarily. We should question authority, as my buddy Jim Mars would say. But it's also something that we have to think that there's really important stuff happening. And, um, you know, yes, life will continue to go by. Day-to-day things need to happen. But there, we're living in some really incredible times, really strange times. We need to be careful. We need to use discernment. We need to pay attention to what's being claimed and what's actually being shown by way of real evidence. So yeah. are there misdirects that have happened? Are there misdirects that will happen? Um, probably yes to both of those things. We need to be diligent and working together and just uh, stay village, uh, vigilant and uh, pay attention. Well, I mean, even, even looking back into to UFOlogy and the history, um, there was the, the case of a government informant who basically uh, came out and said he was part of the misinformation project within the UFO community in and of itself. And I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. The guy was a, like an aeronautical engineer. Um, he was seeing some stuff up in the mountains where he lived. I want to say in the Sierra Nevada area. Could be wrong on location. Um, he was picking up Air Force chatter from a nearby Air Force base. Uh, he, he learned how to decode it. And so he contacted the Air Force base. And they sent basically this Air Force intelligence guy out and basically snowed him on everything. They, they staged UFO crashes up in the mountains for him, flew him over in a helicopter so he could see it, uh, basically fed him all this garbage. But he even said, like, a portion of it was true and a portion of it was fake, but they would never tell you which is which and how a lot of this information pretty much, like, um, um, filtered into the UFO community. And a lot of the, the standard beliefs and so-called, like, tenets in the UFO community are based on false information from the specific agent. So anybody that, that studies, you know, the phenomenon through this and the history knows this information has happened without a doubt. Um, if you're shaking your head, I'm, I'm assuming you're very familiar with, with that situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you, you got a great point there. It's one of the challenges that we face is that a lot of the people, not just recent, people coming forward um, who have some kind of uh, publicity now, but that those who have been involved with for some time are uh, ca- spooks, pretty much. They're counterintelligence. Yeah. And the situation you mentioned, which is a very unfortunate one, uh, deals with a man named Paul Benowitz, who did see things yeah. and did contact the Air Force. And basically, as you mentioned, the guy who was sent out was a counterintelligence officer from the Air Force. His name was Richard Doty. And I met with Richard and I talked with him at length about what he uh, went through with Paul Benowitz, who unfortunately did, you know, uh, some people say that there was a very, you know, unhealthy situation with that whole um, duo, Mm -hmm. you know, but Paul Benowitz did see things. And as you mentioned, Richard said that they, his job was to convince him of his own belief, as he would say, that he thought it was extraterrestrial technology. And in fact, it wasn't. It was, there were government projects that he would, uh, Richard Doty was tasked with making sure that 
he didn't know that, that he suspected that they were something else. And he said it was an easy job basically because he already, Paul Benowitz already believed that it was extraterrestrial. However, the caveat is, as you mentioned, that apparently he did start seeing something which was not just ordinary secret projects. Mm -hmm. So um, Richard Doty has kind of been the, the one who's taken a lot of flack for that, as, as you mentioned, a disinformation agent, which he was. He was a counterintelligence officer. Now, so yep. was Lou Elizondo, who's been a big name in a lot of things mm -hmm. since 2017, when the New York Times came out with the article about the Pentagon's program, uh, ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and how this person, Lou Elizondo, came forward, who was one of the, per, uh, the people who headed the program, and uh, that investigated UAP or UFOs, right? So it makes people wonder, should we really trust what they're saying, um, despite them having had a hand in counterintelligence? Um, or is there something that we can really say this makes sense and feels right and let's go forward and let's see what they say? It's, you know, so people have been very careful in trying to understand various uh, people coming forward, whistleblowers or otherwise, uh, who have had some involvement in these programs. Because it does make one wonder, is this all just uh, you know them coming forward saying it's time to tell people, or is it still disinformation? So the story you mentioned mm -hmm. was um, also foretold in this uh, book called Project Beta by my buddy Greg Bishop. And it's definitely one I would say if you're interested in that story about the disinformation agent at the time, Richard Doty, along with the victim, I guess you could say, pretty uh, intense, uh, Paul Benowitz in this case. Uh, look into the book Project Beta by Greg Bishop. Highly recommend that one. Um, great mind on the matter. And I think that it's important to look at, at why these, as you mentioned, this incident back then, it even is relevant now. And it makes us question, are these things we can trust? People are already pretty untrustworthy uh, and untrusting of the government as it is. So what can be done to convince people? You know, are there people back there who are like, what can we do to really get them you know, to, to believe us. And uh, it makes us wonder right. what's what's really happening. And again, that's why I think we should pay attention because a lot of things are being said. Media is spinning stories left and right about UFOs right now. It's a big topic. People are coming forward. A lot of really incredible claims and testimony. Let's see where this goes and uh, pay attention to who's who and where, where they uh, have been involved and what departments, agencies, or branches of the government or anything um, have a hand in all of this and, and what's been really going on. Now here's, here's a rabbit hole I want to go down with you because I, I think you'll be able to shed some light on this. Um, there are certain factions or groups that are now coming out and claiming, or the idea of a lot of the major UFO experiences and abductions were actually more of, um, MK Ultra kind of testing from the government that were involved using different types of uh, either hallucinogenic drugs or other techniques um, to convince people that they were experiencing an, an adoption. And then three specific cases that, that I know they talk about is going to be uh, first Betty and Barney Hill, um, the Rendlesham Forest incident, and the Travis Walton incident. Uh, people are claiming and then I can see what they're saying, but again, people make a lot of claims with nothing to back it up other than already claimed ideas and already claimed conspiracy theories, right? And they just kind of feed into it and, and work off of each other. But the idea is basically that some of these incidences 
were nothing more than MK Ultra military experiments. Um, now I've met Travis Walton and I know he firmly believes everything that happened to him was real. I've met him, I've talked to him and I've sat with him and we discussed some things, but what, what's your take on that? Do you think that's a possibility or do you think that's just another, either trying to claim like how good we are that we fooled everybody or what do you think on that? Yeah, that's a, a great rapid fire lineup of uh, cases. And I think the, <laughs> the opening question is really important is, are there things that uh, governments, various agencies, whether they're really government or some shadowy group of bureaucrats or whoever that has the power, meaning financial prowess and, and resources and technology, to pull off some mm -hmm. kind of operation akin to, as you mentioned, MK Ultra, which is mind control, um, psychological operation. But we have to keep in mind, um, you know, people look at this in different ways. So I'll just mention that it's really important that people do find that they um, have situations uh, that there are accounts of people who describe abductions, contact experiences, whether they describe themselves as an abductee, an experiencer, or a contactee. Um, there are those who describe after their uh, visit or some kind of visit initially with something which uh, they interpret as non-human alien or otherwise and that uh, it seems to be followed up sometimes not always but some people describing having an uh, instance where they're followed up with so to speak um, with who seems to be some kind of military um, paramilitary type of group very cryptic and um, this would be what some people call a military abduction a my lab um, mm -hmm. and or mill lab as some people like to say and whether this is a psychological operation to, uh, uh, you know, in an attempt to render the victim uh, in somewhat of a state of, um, of dismay or, or to where they, they're totally um, out of it, just not really, really aware that, that's, that they're, you know, a, a militaristic group or something, that they, they are interpreting this as an alien experience. I mean, that's incredible to think that this is actually happening. This is really something that people are describing um, to mask something with something even more bizarre, you know, to have mm -hmm. people being taken by military or whoever, um, some kind of militaristic th threat or force um, or group, you know, that's masquerading around as aliens is something that's been around. And obviously there's the whole idea. And, uh, you know, we talked about um, Richard Doty and this whole, there's a uh, book and actually a documentary called Mirage Men. This is all about the whole idea of counterintelligence and, and trying to um, you know, dissuade people's remembrance and their whole perception by um, altering it with the, uh, with the notion of aliens and of things like this, when in reality, maybe it wasn't, it was actually something else. So military abductions, mill labs would be something to, to consider more research into. Um, and I'll just say that about the, the idea of psychological operations pertaining to UFO experiences. Um, so people do describe these things. Uh, and that's a real challenge when it comes to what's actually happening. Is there a shadowy uh, organization or some group or something with people and resources able to do this? Um, and where's the accountability? You know, this is an incredible situation if that's really going on. But to the point of your three cases, and I'll mention them in chronological order because I do think they're important. Starting with mm -hmm. 1961, you got Betty and, and Barney Hill. And the situation that they had happened was one that they understood uh, in some way a little bit differently. Some might say more thoroughly through hypno, uh, hypnotic regression, <clears throat> to which Betty remembered um, her experiences with these strange entities, which have become since that time pretty much uh, the common 
association with aliens is the gray, the the small grays, you know. So this is something that they talked about, and she ended up somehow with a star map, star chart, star map of Zeta Reticuli, to which these these gray alien beings were saying that they were from, apparently. Um, so some people would say that that's that's considered evidence. I mean, some would say that's anecdotal, but somehow she she wound up with a star map of Zeta Reticuli, which she wouldn't have understood. Um, so that was that would be something you could consider some people would use in defense of her case um, and mm-hmm. sort of the physical physical effects that they um, came upon in 1961. The next one you mentioned, Travis Walton, and I'm glad to hear you've had some time with Travis. He's an interesting guy. You know, yeah. I've spent some time with him. I've been to the original location, both to the site out where he, they saw that what seemed to be a fire in the sky um, and then later at the phone booths. And so I... Um, I think that with his account of having uh, being struck by some beam of light by an object in the forest, seen by the other uh, crew, the workers there, you know, the loggers, that's something I think that adds some weight to his claims that other people saw this happen. What they didn't see was what he describes later on as this experience of being within something, which he, I guess, interprets as the ship and the other small and similar way to the Barney, uh, Betty and Barney Hill case, the greys. Um, he sees some small humanoids that seem gray and makes his way around the ship essentially to where he sees another person, uh, which is more humanoid and human-like in nature, um, bringing him through a hangar mm-hmm. into another place. And I'm, I'm very much making this a, 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 you know, in a nutshell kind of, you know, uh, situation here. But the thing that he says is helpful is, is that he came back from November 5th, 1975 near Snowflake and Heber, Snowflake, Arizona, to November 10th of 1975. He was missing for five days. Some people call it the Heber hoax because they think he made it mm-hmm. all up. Some people think he's the real deal. He's sincere. He seems moved, you know, emotionally moved in some yeah. way. Like, it's interesting. He makes you wonder what really happened. So I would say even the amount of time I spent with Travis and being at the original sites, I don't know. I don't know if he actually was taken or not. I think it's a fascinating story. And people, if they really want to know more, you can watch read his book, you know, and also watch the movie of the same name, Fire in the Sky. Pretty traumatic film that came out. But um, the movie obviously is not a one-to-one of what actually happened. Um, but they're still oh. around. <laughs> at least, uh, you know, and so uh, the next thing is that you mentioned the Rendell Shemforce, which was December uh, 26th through 29th in 1980 in Suffolk, England. And I think that it's a very important case because it's on a Royal Air Force base with United States military personnel. Um, you have a number of people who've come forward over the years. Uh, uh, Jim Penniston, Jonathan Burroughs, uh, Charles Halt, and others. Um, and I've, I've interacted with all of them, interviewed them, and, and in some way found that there are some people who have planted themselves in that situation who weren't actually there. So there's a lot of convoluted mm-hmm. issues with some of these historic cases, which now it's 40, over 40 years ago for all of these. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're, we're having to go back and look at historical data, historical accounts, um, the incident with Rendlesham is interesting to me also because not just of the prestige of the military uh, personnel who were there, um, such as the deputy base commander, Charles, Colonel Charles Halt, who saw the lights himself. This was an object that people were seeing lights of, apparently, uh, in the, the forest there, Rendlesham Forest, as it's called, which apparently landed, made a tripodal effect indented and pressed into the ground. There was a depression measurable 
um, that throughout the time of its being present upon the base in the forest area, a uh, few people, Jim Penniston went out, Jonathan Burroughs went out and viewed this object. Jim Penniston touched the object, received a download of binary code, as he refers to it, and then Jonathan Burroughs was irradiated by the object, which Senator John McCain helped get medical care for by admitting that he was exposed to radiation from UAP. So they de facto revealed UAP in doing so. Basically, that means that they, um, by default, had to admit to an unidentified aerial phenomenon being the source of the radiation uh, to, yep. for Jonathan Burroughs to get medical care. So not only is that case really interesting because of the, the stellar lineup of pretty credible accounts, or some people would argue that, and that's, that's fair, but that it also occurred at the exact same time of a, a case inciting half a world away, a little bit closer to me down here, a little bit north of Houston, Texas, with two ladies and one of their grandchildren, Betty Cash, Vicki Landrum, and her grandson, Colby Landrum, who saw at the same time a diamond-shaped object surrounded by two dozen military helicopters, which was in distress, and this thing was shooting fire down, and they couldn't pass it. We were on an old country farm road. And this thing was shooting fiery light down to the road. Their car stopped. They couldn't go anywhere. Um, and eventually this whole envoy of nearly two dozen military helicopters and this strange diamond-shaped object went on and left and they could make it back. And, and the next day their hair was falling out. They were covered in blisters, throwing up, terribly sick. Um, obvious signs of bad radiation. So to me, it's very odd and maybe somewhat coincidental that at the same time in 1980, at the end of December, that you have people in two places around the world who experience a strange articulated object and are irradiated by it. And it makes us wonder that, you know, should we really, if we ever do come into contact with some of these unknown objects that people talk about, what would you do if you see one? Would you run up mm -hmm. to it? And it makes us wonder, should those military personnel, James Penniston, and Jonathan Burroughs, should they really have gone up to it? Should Cash and Landrum have, have been close to that diamond-shaped object? Should Travis Walton have ran up to that object? You know, uh, all these questions make mm -hmm. us wonder, is it really safe to get close to UAP or to a UFO? Um, and so, you know, who's left around to tell about these things? What's important is to preserve the historical data. And fortunately, we do have Travis. He's still around. A lot of those bloggers, they're still around. Um, they've done a lot of work. He's made a documentary. They used to hold conferences called the Skyfire Summit. Um, all of those military people I mentioned about Rendlesham, they're still around. Um, while Betty and Barney Hill aren't around, their niece, Kathleen Martin, is still around, who does tell about not just their history and her understanding of her um, aunt and uncle's situation, but also her involvement with things like MUFON and this, this subject and investigation and research overall. So there are a lot of really important parts about these historical cases that help still provide relevance today with what's happening and what we can understand and glean from those instances where people thought and took the time to share about those stories, either through medical official record, personal approaching, um, you know, in a case of Cash and Landrum, unfortunately, they tried to sue, sue the Air Force. Um, they, they were trying to get medical attention and it didn't really work out. It's too bad. Um, so those are some significant cases for sure that, that you brought up and that help us see that this is not a new phenomenon. It didn't just start happening because of the 
recent releases within the government, uh, but it's been going on for a long time and people are really wondering about what's happening. And I think at this point, if the government came out and said, or whoever <laughs> came out and said, aliens are real, <laughs> I would say that most people would probably be like, well, we, we probably figured that I was the case already, but what do they want? Mm -hmm. Or is this going to interrupt like the game or is it going to do something to where I got to yeah. you know quit my job or I get to quit or this or that? It's like, it's, it's probably something that people kind of laugh about, un unfortunately. Honestly, it's something I think people are curious and interested in and more than anything, maybe just entertained by and probably don't want it to disrupt day to day life as much as we might think that that would be fun. Uh, you know, as, as Thomas Kuhn, as I mentioned earlier, as he said in his uh, structure of scientific revolutions, where he coined the term paradigm shift, that these don't come easily. It comes through crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And it's something that we have to keep in mind. It's like this whole, whole idea of a revolution is not going to come easily. And there's going to be a lot of strife um, and civil unrest if this really does have like a big upheaval in the sense of like we reveal that aliens are here and they're not all nice. You know, it's not something that we probably would be okay with uh, in the greater sense of our society. So these cases help provide insight about people's interactions between humans and non-humans, <clears throat> uh, human technology and non-human technology. Um, but also it makes us wonder what is the intent? Did this really mean to happen as it was described? Was Travis intentionally harmed? He thought he was killed, but not intentionally. In his own words, he thinks he died and they brought him back. So mm -hmm. the intent should be called into question. And that's an anthropological question. You know, what is the mind of these others? How does it work? What does it want? You know, that's something I think is a fascinating uh, scientific and philosophical and spiritual question in nature. So it's something we should all be curious about, but maybe just watch our curiosity because if we see that UFO, we maybe sh we shouldn't run right up to it. You know, we might have watched that movie Fire in the Sky and saw what happened to Travis. You know, so uh, it's just one of those things we have to keep in mind. Yeah. So I have never seen a UFO myself. Have you ever seen a UFO yourself? Well, I will say that. To my best recollection, I don't have any knowledge of a daylight disc sighting or seeing any type of articulated craft or, or something that I would say seems like non-human that I know of in, in the sense of like uh, a, some kind of ship or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think so that I know of like that. I have, however, seen strange phenomena. I've seen strange lights that I couldn't really tell what they were in the sky. Um, and I have seen things like the Marfa lights, which I would say does qualify in some way as UAP. You have to just UAP, keep in mind, yeah. a lot of people conflate UAP, or especially UFO, with alien spaceship. And it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that. It just means unidentified. Some people might say unexplained, which we don't really have a definitive answer for what the Marfa lights are. And I've seen them on more than one occasion. And if mm -hmm. any number of those lights that I personally saw wasn't just a car reflecting headlights or something of a car, um, then maybe there is something out there. I don't think it's a ship or a craft. It is a phenomenon. Right. It's a mystery light, whatever that could be. Maybe it's not even alien. Maybe it's 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 Terran. It's based here on Earth. You know, that's that's still pretty interesting. But I will just say that I, last night I saw Starlink right above where I live, and and I will say that even though I saw it and I could tell right away that's oh that, that's there's one two three four twenty plus lights in a row evenly spaced apart, and my immediate impression was to to pull out my phone, I recorded it as soon as I started seeing it. And if I hadn't walked around just to look up and see it, it was dark enough to see it, I would have totally missed it. My point in bringing that up is that Starlink and similar endeavors by whoever 
to put things up there in, in such a way that it's not just that one. And even still, people see one satellite and they lose their minds because they think it's an alien spaceship. Um, and that'll continue to happen. And when people see Starlink, they'll continue to think, what is that? That will continue mm -hmm. to happen, despite how long Starlink has been up there now and how much it will continue to develop further. People will still misidentify that or just not have a frame of reference that of what it is at all. Yeah. And not only for people here in like, you know, in America or whatever, but keep in mind, like people in, in other nations around the world, which are, you know, not to be derogatory, um, but, you know, lesser te technologically sophisticated um, mm -hmm. societies will continue to see things in a society that furthers its development and all of that and still have no real frame of reference in the same context as we do and could deify it, could demonize it, who knows? But the challenge is that it'll continue to happen. Um, and so we just have to be wary that when we see lights, the idea of a UFO is subjective. So if I saw something, and I, like last night, if I saw Starlink and I didn't know what it was, that to me is technically a UFO. It's yep. unidentified, it's flying, it's a series of objects. So that brings us, I think, to the, the reality that I think this should be addressed is that a UFO doesn't automatically mean alien spaceship. It's easy to say and for people to infer that sometimes. But I would say that while I don't make the claim that I've ever really seen a UFO or to use any subtle experiences that I have myself, as much of a springboard to make a platform out of, it's, it's made me question and look into those who do subscribe seeing and having... Uh, those types of encounters and things because I, I'm curious and I think anyone should be about the reality of the UFO phenomenon what UAP really is its implications for us not just the phenomenon itself but in society the anthropo uh, anthropological implications what it means for us as a culture to learn that maybe there are things out there not just in space but in our skies um, and in our own world that show us that we're not alone not just in the universe, but here in our own world, we may be here inhabiting a place, some domain with other intelligence. Um, you know, that's non-human, that's non-animal, non-conventional animal that we know. And it could be something that we're learning about through advanced studies in quantum mechanics, quantum sciences, um, biology. Um, there's this idea, whole idea of the, the bio, um, shadow biome, these things that make us wonder, like, what kind of life can exist, not just in the extraterrestrial biological entity sense, which are, you know, scientific concepts of EBEs, aliens from other planets, right? And that could have its own things as well, but it makes us wonder what's out there. And, uh, and are we seeing things that might not necessarily be alien and not, might not necessarily be technology or technological in nature, like a car with a driver in it? We seem to try, to try to personify a UFO thinking it's a spaceship with an alien inside piloting it. And maybe that is happening. Um, the claims are that, that that is happening and that they've crashed and that we've recovered the crash and the bodies and the pilots, right? So incredible claims. Um, but I would say that we have to be careful because UFOs, the, the term itself is subjective and yeah. that it just means unidentified and that people see unidentified things and unexplained things to them all the time that someone right next to them might understand. It might be like, oh, well, that's actually this satellite. I've had this happen. I've been out at, at sky watches and people see a satellite and they're like, wow, there's one. And someone else will say, no, that's just a satellite. And that's okay. I think that helps us. 
people want things to be more exotic than they actually are. And I think it's sobering to know that not everything will be a, um, a UFO, right? Not everything's going to be an alien spaceship. And uh, so we just have to keep that in mind. But no, I don't really have a big claim. I, I mean, I have interesting experiences of I've had, um, you know, things that I think make me wonder and on a personal basis. But even that, I think that it's, it's hard to try to relay things from a personal experience to another, not just myself, but anyone, because sometimes it's only meaningful to that person. And once you share that to someone else, maybe to convince them or not, not even to convince them, but just to share it, it's already one person removed and the same context and meaning won't apply to that other person. They might be able to say, I understand, I get it, or I believe you or, or not or whatever, but can they really? Maybe, um, you know, we relate to things by way of experiences. And if someone has an abduction, they might say, I hear you. I know I went through the same thing. And so fortunately there are groups that hold experiencer sessions that people can share and try to help, you know, voice something, express something that they have a hard time because family and friends and conventional life are still very hard pressed to accept anything that otherwise is, is difficult for them to open up about. So it's good yeah. that we have things like that and that you guys have a show like this that people can learn about some of this stuff in an open way without feeling ridicule um, or scrutinized because it's, it doesn't seem to fit in. Right. So, I don't really say that I have a UFO sighting. I mean, like I said, I've seen the Marfa lights. They're a light, a light phenomenon. I don't know what they are. It's interesting. But I've seen stuff in the sky. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to just jump out and be like, yes, I saw it. It was, it was this big, you know, so I don't think that really it would help for me to try to say anything like that. But I, I do think that people do say, see incredible lights, incredible objects, incredible articulated ships of some sort that seem mechanical, and very well could be ours as far as human, you know, in nature that are secret projects. Cause we know that happens too. I do have a UAP experience that I've shared with a few people and nobody has been able to even tell me they've heard another story like it. So I want to run it by you. I've, I've shared yeah, this with uh, like Josh Nokio from what lurks beneath. Cause I know he's a collector of stories from people. Um, so this happened about 15 years ago. I was living in eastern Wisconsin. It was within the first week of January. I want to say somewhere around the 3rd or the 5th. I can't pinpoint it exactly. Um, about 1 in the morning. I was driving home from work. And I was down dialing my radio in. And I saw uh, like a green flash of light. Like, like in my vision through the windshield. And I was like, well, what the heck is that? I'm looking around. Now I'm driving in a city, and I'm on an overpass, so I'm elevated up off the main road, and I'm looking, and I don't see anything, and then I, I looked down to my radio again, and I saw the flash again, and I looked up, and for a brief second, I saw the only way to describe it is by a big fireball, okay, but it was like glow-in-the-dark green, but it was the basic color of it, like glow-in-the-dark green. And it was coming down at an angle from left to right. And it flashed and went out. And then it flashed again really big. And I actually saw a silhouette of a building in front of it. And it was, it was moving. And it looked exactly how you would describe like a comet or a plasma ball. Completely rounded on the down uh, facing side. And it looked like flames or something like trailing off the back. It was very classic. But it was huge. It took up 
almost the whole field of vision. And it was big enough to sell an entire skyscraper type building. Not like ah. New York skyscraper, but like, you know, big city building. Skyscraper. And skyscraper. then it just flashed, right? Then it just it didn't blow up. There was no sound. There was no explosion. It was literally this green fireball thing that was massive. And it just lit up a few times and then just completely disappeared. And that was it. That was the whole thing. It just kind of vanished. And that was it. There was no sound, um, nothing at all. There, there was no, like, electrical phenomenon. There, was not, there wasn't, like, lights going off and on, like an EMP burst. There was literally nothing. There, there was no news reports about it. So I was looking the next day, the next couple days, for the news about what it was because I was curious. I thought maybe it was a meteor or an airplane crashed or something. And there was absolutely no mention of it. That was about 15 years ago. I've never heard anything else like it. Nobody I've talked to has heard anything else like it, and I have absolutely no explanation for it whatsoever. Well, see, Justin, it's all very simple. Um, what you saw that night was just swamp gas and, and nothing more. That's just all there is to it. <laughs> I know. So, there you go. going to be swamp, swamp gas bath. or water yep. vapors. Or... <laughs> I knew it. Maybe the some sentient swamp gas. Reflecting off of the lights off of Lake Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that sounds fascinating. I think I remember when we were in Point Pleasant, West Virginia for the Mothman Festival last year, I think I remember you sharing this with me. And I think it's fascinating when, especially when driving, you're out and you, it's like when you least expect it. That's the, the irony of yeah. a lot of these things. It's like people have these encounters or sightings or whatever. Usually it seems like the, without going out of their way to try to find something. And that's where mm -hmm. I think most people's experiences are, are so impressionable. And I think that what you've described is, is similar in the sense that people see something um, gaseous or fiery. It's not always an articulated, yeah. solid craft object, right? It's something that seems like it could be um, an effect by some means, but then you see it do things and you're like, what is that really? And so I think that's really interesting to hear. Um, and I do think that it, it does have similar components as, to, as far as... Uh, people describing seeing things that do seem like a fireball glowing mm -hmm. uh, self-luminous you know it's not just reflecting you know light right. from a nearby city miles away or whatever it's something that mm -hmm. like you know it's it's not venus <laughs> you know it's, it's right, not, yeah um you know one of those things that's easily used as a sort of a um a way to debunk the whole thing and i think that while sure there there could be game. times where it's people just wow. totally miss miss it and they're like wow i guess that really was like I guess that really was swamp gas, huh? But I mean, it's like very rarely is there ever a time where I think people are so far gone that they're just like, I guess that UFO really was Venus, huh? But I think that maybe, sure, that might happen every once in a while. But it sounds like what you've described falls a little bit more into the amorphous light UFO that, mm -hmm. you know, is not a disc. And I always say this because a lot of uh, statistics that have been done to gather data on UFO reports, because remember, not everyone submits a report of a sighting some people see it right. and they don't ever think to or some people see it and forget uh, even subconsciously they're just like nope they tune that out they filter it out until someone else says something i saw this weird thing and then they are it triggers their remembrance of it and they're like oh yeah this one time i saw this thing too so some people they'll they'll uh, repress it subconsciously because it doesn't fit in for whatever way and then some people they can't wait to tell somebody like you said you you wanted to go find it on the news. So some people do that. And then you're like, 
why wasn't that on the news? And you realize like maybe yeah. you weren't actually the only one to see it. Maybe some other people did see it, but no one came forward or, or even if they did, it didn't get to the point of getting enough notoriety or attention to, to, um, to the point of a news report or something. But it does sound like what would be helpful is to look maybe at corroborating databases from either the um, UFO Reporting Center, maybe the MUFON Mutual UFO Network database or other databases that have a host of, of files on this and look at the, the time frame look at the region and see if anyone might have something similar because maybe someone did file a report with some another agency or something. And then that might be a good way to start to see how, um, you know, what you saw wasn't an isolated event. And I think that's actually a helpful thing for anyone who's seen something to do is think about the time, the location. And if you can just do a search on some of these internet uh, UFO databases, or maybe not even the UFO uh, or the internet, um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of books out there as well. So go check out some UFO books that might be able to share a little bit about regional sightings and, and the coverage in certain um, areas. But I, again, thanks, Justin. I think it's a fascinating uh, account that you've shared while driving, you know, going and yeah. seeing this. And uh, how long would you say it was uh, it was solid in your your uh, your visibility? Like how long would you say it sustained? Just, just a couple there? seconds. Honestly, just a few seconds. Um, I, I saw the several flashes when I looked and it was the big fireball. It was enough. I could see that it was traveling, but that was it. It was literally only a few seconds and then it, it winked back out again. There wasn't any more tracing. There wasn't an extra trail. There was absolutely nothing. It was pitch black again. And, you know, and I, I thought about it. I thought about the swamp gas thing. I thought about, you know, uh, swamp gas getting ignited by something like all those things. But when I looked the way it was traveling and, and, and just with everything in the components, I've been able to pretty much exclude any natural phenomenon um, that I could think of because I mean, there wasn't an object there, but it was definitely moving, but it was traversing from a high point to a low point. You, you know what I mean? And it had a definitive fireball shape to it. Like the one side was rounded and it definitely had like trails coming off the back end. Like you would assume a fireball. Well, I call it a plasma ball because when you think fireball, people think of an explosion kind of a thing, but this wasn't like that. This was like literally more like a specific object that was traveling and not fire without a definitive shape. You know what I mean? Um, but there was no that shape to an object. Other than it was round and, the way it flashed, I mean, it flashed multiple times. Like that, I first saw it when I was looking down and I saw the color flash across my dashboard, you, you know? And so all those things kind of eliminate to me the idea of, you know, swamp gas or a misidentified planet, because this obviously was not some sort of planet or just something moving, you know? Um, there the, wasn't a heat lightning. I'm familiar with heat lightning. I've seen heat lightning multiple times. Um, Ball lightning, yes, but ball lightning doesn't take on that aspect of it that I've ever heard or read about when I've studied the ball lightning phenomenon, you know. So really, there, there's nothing I could come up with to really satisfy an answer of what it could be. And that's why I really like the term UAP, because that's exactly what it was, an unidentified aerial phenomenon. I would never say it was a spaceship or an alien, anything. 
because the reality is I have absolutely no idea what it could possibly have been. You, you know? said it looked like a building. No, no, no. I said I could see the silhouette of one of the buildings in front of me. Like it was in front of this object. Like like the building was in front of me. See what I mean? Like it flew behind the building. I could see the entirety of the building silhouette like over this thing. All right. So like it, it didn't look like a building. building. It flew behind the building. Correct. And it was big enough where I could see the entire structure of the building. And then I could still see part of the, the ball to the top of the building. And so that's how size of this thing it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a Venus. This thing had mass, but it was huge. That was Bigfoot and a UFO then. There you go. <laughs> and I wasn't that drinking. Was I wasn't drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's really interesting to hear. You know, it makes us wonder, um, it, are there meteorological effects that we're still learning about? And I don't know that that's really what it was. But beyond that, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, exotic ideas could be if they're uh, – I, I like how you described it, plasma. People think that maybe yeah. there's something to higher um, forms of, of energy. You know, we think about the, the states of matter and plasma being the fourth one, you know, makes us think that maybe forms of intelligence can take different forms, maybe material or otherwise, or maybe plasma. So the idea that maybe you could have intelligent plasma makes us think, wow, that could maybe account for a lot of the different strange light phenomenon. And you make a good point about UAP. A lot of people don't like the term. They think it's brand new. It's really not. It's been around for a very long time. It's just one that's used in nomenclature and verbiage for official documentation. But it also dictates that an object isn't necessarily flying. As you described, right. this is a perfect indication of something which isn't a flying, like you know, something with ballistic propulsion you know, spearing itself through is the sky, a medium. It's literally, you know, sustained through whatever means and uh, could admit heat or not. Um, but it sounds like it is better described as a phenomenon rather than a flying object, even though it is aerial, it is up in the sky. So, you know, UFO is a good catch-all. UAP, I think, does help with an instance like this where it's not a, you know, something that's articulated by means like if it being a craft with you know something like that a propulsion right. system or something right so it seems like that's a, a little bit more fitting and it makes us wonder uap is still within the realm of meteorological sciences and that maybe yeah. we can still learn about the forms that are taking place here that are either a residual natural phenomenon or that maybe that there's a form of intelligence like a, a sentient form of plasma that can appear to us as forms of uh, a ball of light or something that we we interpret a certain way because we can only perceive its existence through whatever band spectrum of frequency or whatever it could be. So there are a lot of hypotheticals, a lot of questions, and I think a lot of really interesting forms of science that can go into our understanding of these mystery lights beyond just the, yeah. the craft UFOs. Like the mystery yeah. lights are really interesting too. And that's why I like the ones I mentioned earlier about Marfa. Is there a lot like that? They seem to be luminous plasma, you know, I know my, my, the only closest thing would be a meteor would be the kind of the closest description to it, except it didn't have a long contrail and the size of it. Like if there was a meteor 
that I could perceive that large, that close to me, that would have been in the news. That would have been a big deal. You know what I mean? That's where I go. It couldn't have been a meteor, even though that's the closest thing that I could describe it as. You know, because I've seen meteor showers all across the world, and, and they all look the same. A meteor is a meteor is a meteor, and they all have the same telltale signs to it. And this, this didn't have that. It had a definitive end to it. Um, and it was just, like I said, it was so massive in my field of vision. So if it was a meteor, it's something that would have made the reports. It would have made the news. You know, and that's why I was watching the news, because I was like, wow, that's a really weird colored, really big meteor looking thing. It just didn't, ha didn't come out that way. Well, I do so. think that, you know, on the rare occasion that things like that could potentially happen and it, it could have been very large, um, you know, it, like you said, it seems like it probably would have been covered. Someone else probably would have seen it and it could have been yeah. seen and there, someone would have known, hey, this is going to come. It's going to be visible in this range yeah. of the night skies. Keep an eye out. But no, it doesn't sound like anyone did. So you, in the rare occasion, that maybe you did see something in an isolated instance where you only you saw it. So, but again, I would say check the reports, see if anyone else and. Yeah. That sounds really fascinating. And I would say that speaking of meteorites, we uh, here very recently did have uh, and have been having a meteor shower. Um, so when people do see streaks in the sky like that, not what you described, but just in general, meteor mm -hmm. showers uh, do seem to when anything like this is happening, people see things, they'll catch a glimpse and, you know, sometimes misinterpret or there's an issue of misidentification of known phenomena. Right. So that's kind of one of the things that I think happens whenever an instance uh, an event like that takes place in the sky. People might not know that there's a meteor shower happening and look up and see, yeah. you know, little lights zipping down and think, oh, no aliens, you know, and then for the, for the rest, <laughs> it's easier to have to remember it that way. So, but yeah, this I mean, that, those things happen Kentucky, too. Um, I don't know if you know about this one yet, Grizz, but where Jennifer is at, my fiance, they just had a meteor come through and people were catching it on their, their ring doorbell systems and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of made the news, and she's actually working on a featured story with it and tying it into historical UFO sightings in Appalachia. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it happens. But, again, when you see it, like you can see it on these, these cameras and stuff, you can tell it's a meteor. It's just what it is, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they happen all the time, and, and they happen sometimes when you don't expect it. Like, like they can't always predict what's coming and where it's going, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's happening now. Like I said, just a couple of days ago in Kentucky, it happened. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, so Daniel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a question, and I just totally lost it in my mind. That's okay. It happens. <laughs> what? Let, let's go down a little different rabbit hole now. There sure. are a lot of people out there that equate alien activity including UFO activity, with demonic activity, right? And so what they're saying is it's demonic activity and they're, they're covered for, just like military's covering it, it's alien. And there was a popular movie that came out um, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I'm sure you'll know. Where basically it, it started off as therapy sessions with, um, UFO uh, contactees and as they progressed to it they 
uh, discovered that they were abducted, but then they started showing attributes of actually being possessed to the point of even like um, levitating off the couch that they were going on with on their hypnosis stuff with. Um, and it was all filmed kind of like Blair Witch style kind of firsthand, like we're recording these sessions. And it was purportedly to be a true case that happened, I believe, in Alaska. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was Alaska where this happened. And, and the connection there was, while this person believed it was UFOs and alien abductees, it actually ended up being a case of demonic possession. Are you familiar with that one at all? Uh, it sounds like, well, there's a few movies actually coming to mind. Um, that one sounds like The Fourth Kind, I think, um, which is a nod to The Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind which is basically abduction and on the okay. close encounters scale, there's a something that Dr. J. Allen Hynek came up with. Uh, he's often attributed to this actually it's the Hynek scale, which is close encounters of the first, mm -hmm. second and third kind. People have subsequently added to his list with the fourth kind being abductions, the fifth kind CE five, being human initiated contact, like we talked about earlier. But this one that you mentioned sounds like the movie, The Fourth Kind, which is about being abducted. So if I remember, it was about a story um, in Alaska, but I think that it's a, it's a little bit more fictitious than they lead on. I think they, they claim to use yeah. real footage and things, but it makes for a fun movie. And honestly, we have to remember, and you know, I've, I've gone back and forth on this over the years. I do actually think the entertainment industry has a bigger part to play in a line for people to know about these topics, um, whether they're mm -hmm. consciously aware of them or it's kind of deep-seated in their subconscious mind because of the, the issue of pop culture. It's, it's heavily embedded within the entertainment and media industry. Um, and sure. we see this all over the place. There's a lot of people who saw that movie who otherwise don't keep up with any of this stuff who are like, Oh, yeah, that movie, right? But I will say this. The idea that you mentioned about interpreting the UFO phenomenon or potentially like alien interactions as demonic is not a new one. Um, there are actually two other movies that I think insinuate this a little bit as well, which I think one of them is Dark Sky. Um, and then the other one's Signs, you know, the one with Mel Gibson. A lot of people actually say yeah. that, hey, that's not an alien movie. That's a, that's a, that's a religious movie. And the aliens are demons. Um, and that water is, is supposed to be like holy water and it burns up, you know, so there's some fun ideas about how we can interpret media and in the movies and how that gives us a sense of like what the cultural lenses of interpretation are um, when it comes to the UFO mm -hmm. phenomenon and its subsequent subjects of affiliation like alien life and, and how that might make sense for us in our own world. So there have been groups supposed to exist within the government. Uh, Nick Redfern, our buddy who we got to see a while back, and I, I've known him for years. You know, He's got, covered a lot of really interesting topics, but he's talked about this idea of what's yeah. called the Collins elite, which is a group of people within government who have their hand in all of this, but who also don't want this to come out because they think that tampering with this subject is basically akin to messing with demons, is that these... Yeah these entities, these beings, whatever, they're actually demons. And this whole issue of UFOs is all demonic. And that by uh, messing with it, we start to make it provocative and it's something that they don't want to have happen. Um, whether this sure. group, the Collins elite, actually exists or not, um, it's hard to say. There are people within government who, who have said that they don't want this to come forward because of a religious 
um, association. And I think that does play a part in people's, you know, in any way of life, whether it's professional or otherwise. So I think that that does play a role is that people do demonize the idea that extraterrestrials could potentially be masquerading um, like they are their fallen angels or something. I mean, that's just another lens of interpretation. Um, there's a documentary about that, and uh, it's called Alien Invasion. There's a few people who have been involved with that. Nick was actually on that one, but he was a bit more of a voice of reason from a, an objective standpoint, not really advocating for them being demons necessarily, but that but that uh, you know that there could be something to the ways that they are interpreted, not just by people in general, but by those who are in government and who have some involvement yeah. a little bit more intimately behind the scenes with this whole thing. So, yeah, the idea that maybe some of these beings are not who they say they are, we should we should question that for sure. Are they demons? I don't necessarily think so. Admittedly, I'm not religious. I don't have that point of view. I do like studying religion, and again, a big part of my involvement has been looking at this through the lens of. The cultural perceptions um, and how we interpret yep. the phenomenon throughout history and in modern times with various lenses of perception, I think is really fascinating. So it's one to consider and we can't discount that there are, you know, energies, entities, forces, intelligences, beings, whatever out there, some form of agency with a little bit more form of reality management than what we have. And that can seem scary, but it can repel us back, keep us in darkness or it can propel us forward and help shed light that we're not alone and that we maybe we should try to figure out what's going on, whether it's uh, good or bad. You know, we need to try to yeah. see what's happening. It's hard when you start looking at things from a big picture. That's one of the things that I have always done. Um, I consider myself more of a 14 investigator. I look into anything and everything that's weird, strange, and just kind of unhinged, so to speak, right? And one of the things that a lot of people point to when connecting uh, extraterrestrial uh, beings with demons or, or religious or maybe another perspective than just aliens is uh, the connection with Aleister Crowley. For those of you that know, Aleister Crowley was a pr practitioner of the black arts. Um, his biggest thing was trying to open a portal to another dimension using various black magic, specifically using sex magic. Um, magic fueled by the energies involved in orgies and sexual uh, uh, encounters. And basically, the story goes that he was successful in opening a portal and that the entity that they contacted in this portal and then using uh, Satanistic techniques, so they're referring to it as a demon, the description is our classic alien gray description of what this entity was that he contacted through a portal. And so I think, you know, we get stories like this where you're looking at all these different things. It's amazing how interconnected a lot of this stuff can become. But then you have to question, is it really an interconnection or is it somebody embellishing a story? Is it somebody making it out to be something they want it to be to make the connection that they're trying to prove? I mean, there's a lot to that and then discernment to a really big part of it. And it gets hard. The, the water gets really muddy in there. Um, but I've, I've always looked at that as a very fascinating thing because the whole Aleister Crowley rabbit hole is absolutely insane when you go down that rabbit hole. Um, have, have you heard about that? Or, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so you brought some really interesting things up. And I'll just say, and I don't, by saying this, mean to like correct you or anything. My, my oh, impression no. is that his name is Crowley because he, and here's why. I actually um, am from a town called Crowley, 
And so learning about Alistair, who I thought was Alistair Crowley at the time, was really fascinating to me. So, you know, I looked into the yeah. Book of the Law, I looked into the uh, Ordo Templo Orientis mm-hmm. and, and all these things, the OTO and all these societies, the Golden Dawn and all of this. Um, it was fascinating to me and the whole esoteric orders and, and everything you just mentioned. But in finding out a little bit more about him, I just, uh, you know, came upon discovering this situation, which you described. Um, yeah. It also occurred to me that I think he preferred Crowley because he liked that it was synonymous. It sounded like unholy. And he made the joke yeah. because he regarded as of himself as a, as a liberator, as sort of, a, you know, someone breaking free from the cycle of um, the authority, uh, the authority of, of the church and, and really, you know, being someone who, um, embodied sort of uh, uh, the taboo natures of, of going against the grain. I think that was kind of a big part mm-hmm. about what he was standing for. Now, aside from all of that and getting too deep into that, so I was fascinated <laughs> with learning about who, who I've come to call Crowley, um, yeah. was that he was visiting Egypt in the early 1900s and basically through opening, like you said, feeling like he had uh, come upon opening a portal of sorts, uh, this being which he called Lam or Lam, some say L A M, came forward and shared with uh, a few different things about uh, just the nature of, of his own reality and also how he was uh, a bit of um, uh, someone, some something, I guess you could say, akin to uh, a daemon or some kind of uh, energy or spirit that was there mm-hmm. to kind of herald in a new era. And after that, he actually said that from that point on, they were in the aeon of Horus, because he thought it was a coming of a new age and a new era and all of these things. And he drew a description of this Lam, L-A-M, Lam, however you want to say it. And it, as you said, had a big head. The main thing that was different about the people's interpretations between like the modern gray aliens and this one is that he had little beady eyes. They weren't really very big, but it had a big bulbous head, small mouth. And people say, well, because of that, it must mean that it was a gray alien or an alien of some sort. And then that must, it must also mean that these other connections are something similar to what he described. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe it's like you said, maybe it's a little bit embellished. Maybe it's reading into it too much. I do think we should ask those questions. Are there earlier points in, in our known in recorded history by whoever that dictate these types of interactions with non-human entities, right? So I think that whatever we want to call him, uh, didn't, it, he, he didn't call it an alien. But he definitely nope. described it as being something um, different. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, I think he described this in the Book of the Law. Um, but that's one of the things that I would say is important for us to look into is that he also was already interested in, um, as he referred to, magic, which is um, basically, you know, again, going very much against the grain of, of uh, you know, the traditional approach of, of church and of religious tradition and mm-hmm. really embodying something that was so deviant that would um, show people that you can be different. And I think that's where a lot of like modern sort of satanic movement comes from is, is uh, not just uh, Anton Sanzor LaVey's The Satanic Bible, which is a big part of that too, but it was mainly yeah. just the idea that you can try to do things to harness some kind of energetic power to manipulate and and have some kind of outcome and this is what he crowley referred to as magic that you were doing things like rituals to open portals to interact with the um the gods and goddesses uh the demigods and the angels um or in this case one called lam who would be insightful and tell you things and the secrets and the nature of the universe um 
And this is something you see time and time again in various uh, wisdom traditions, mythologies, religious sects, and in all of these different things that I think established that we're probably not alone. And that the people have been interacting um, for a long time. And that this was only um, 100 years ago, pretty much, when Alistair Crowley was yeah. talking about this encounter. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the whole point of everything is, is, you know, we, we as researchers need to really keep an open mind and really look at all aspects of it. One of the biggest things that I promote is um, everybody that studies all these, these different fields, you know, you do a lot of UFO stuff. And like you said, a lot of other stuff, um, people tend to think I'm more of the Bigfoot guy or a dogman guy, but I, I'm really into everything. We need to have more people that can see all these fields and find the connections and see the relevancy and how they all come together. And I think that's the only way we're really going to find any answers to all this kind of stuff, right? By looking at the, the bigger picture of everything. Yeah, we need to, to microscope on certain things to understand what they are, but we need to also be able to pull back and look how everything else is connecting. And maybe that's where we're going to find our answers, right? So we need to look at all these different fields. We're looking at UFOs, like you said. We need to look at the sciences, the meteorological sciences, atmospheric sciences, see what's going on there. Um, technological sciences, what do we really know is going on technology-wise? Um, um, and, and I think we need to really have that conversation with all the different fields, um, whether it's paranormal and ghost hunting, demonology, uh, cryptozoological, UFOlogical, all these ones, we all need to kind of get together a little bit better and have these kinds of conversations like we're having tonight and look at everything from all these different angles because everybody brings our own perspective on things. You have your perspective, Grizzly has his, I have mine, and our audience has theirs. And we can bring it all together and really start like diving deep into some of these subjects and maybe get a little more understanding of what's going on in the world around us. Yeah, definitely. Very well said. I mean, I definitely agree. I would say that it's important to, while you said you have people who are considerate of all of the different, the vast array of these interesting areas and the phenomena that we explore and look into. But I would say, um, in addition, to add on to that, I think it's important that we do have the people who are dedicated to very specific orientations who can mm -hmm. delve into going down the rabbit hole on very specific things for dedicated you know, bouts of time in their life, because I think it's, it's because of those things, we get the real, the granular details that are really important for, for specifics. Yep. And, and just like you said, it is, I think really important to have someone who's got a broad array of all of these things to help connect those dots. But it's thanks to those who are just into whatever that is to help get the finer yep. details and the things that help us to connect that everything together. So I say, yeah, we need we need every, a little bit of everything. We need people who are overseeing many of these different kind of uh, uh, efforts at play. We need those who are the specialists. Um, we need better communication. We need ways to think about how um, research is done, how data is gathered, how it's something that people can participate on all sides, whether they're science, you know, credentialed, uh, certified, degreed scientists or not, or they're military mm -hmm. people or officials, how they can come forward what the legalities are or not civilians what can we do as people as ordinary citizens who are just trying to make sense of our daily lives look at this and see all these different things happening what can we do and i think that it's important to know that there are many ways in various capacities through which 
in which one can get involved with any of this stuff. A lot of people have their own experience. That's a big part about how people do get involved. But others, they're mm-hmm. curious. They want to know about the research. They want to investigate. They want to get involved. They want to go to an event. They want to go talk to someone in a group setting. They want to be able to see how they can make it a little bit more participatory. And I think that it's really important that we continue to see that there are ways to do that, that there are platforms. You guys are providing a way for people to be able to interact in this way. It's helping to provide a supportive network uh, of um, for the community in a way that we can connect those otherwise seemingly disparate areas of interest together and find out, wow, this experience is just like this one. We just call it this instead. And then you see how sometimes it's just through language, it's cultural indifference that we find out that, you know, all of this is probably very similar. We just have modes of interpretation and we're doing what we can. We're doing our best to work together. And I think that's one of the things that really helps us move forward is that there is a lot of isolation. There's a lot of independent work being done. That's awesome. But it doesn't really mean much overall unless we can compile it, we can condense it, synthesize it for the greater public who otherwise they can't read a science textbook and, and get it, you know, because that's for that's for people who are really into that. For those who are just going to throw on the TV, look at the news and be like, oh, guess they said aliens are real. All right, off to whatever. You know, we have to also keep those people in mind that, that otherwise mm-hmm. are totally indifferent about all of this. How can we help when we do make incredible discoveries, connections, and have to have a declaration that says, hey, here's, here's, what we, here's where we're at now. We have to do it in a way that's from a voice of, of reason, from a voice of authority, uh, maybe from a voice of popularity, but also do so in a way that helps to elevate that standard of awareness in all of society, to raise the base from somewhere where it previously wasn't to where it is now. And again, that's why I think this is a very interesting and sociological, anthropological issue is that these edges of science or spirituality, whatever it is for us, to be able to come upon that in a way that sheds light upon our own world uh, and our place in it is exciting and should make anyone of us wonder um, in what way will be the next thing to kind of come forward? Because right now it's like UFOs and, and people are pretty, you know, interested and, and mildly entertained by it. But it's something that like, again, we have to pay attention. If things come out, it could be really awesome or it could be like kind of a mess depending on how it's managed. Mm-hmm. I really hope that it's not a mismanaged affair. And we need good, smart, you know, knowledgeable people on how to, uh, you know, handle social interaction but also how to handle a very important part of our own human history in a way that's not just like loosely handed off to some defense person to make the claim that aliens are real i think that's totally a mismanaged affair if it comes down to some spook from the department of defense is like well by the way aliens are real i mean at least have a president say it. you know not better yet have mm-hmm. a a council of world leaders come and say, let's, let's get together for the sake of our own, um, you know, unification. Let's let this being be a unifying effort, not to declare war, but to instill peace and and development through um, more altruistic humanitarian affairs to really bring us together for good and not for bad. I think that's probably a, uh, you know, hard thing to realize maybe sounds a bit utopian but you know that's that's i think a big part about how we can get through some of these other otherwise you know petty situations in our world absolutely all right daniel man it's been absolutely awesome uh tell us uh how we can reach you how we can listen to you uh what do you got coming up 
Cool. Well, you know, I'm pretty well accessible. I, uh, you know, all over social media for anyone who's interested in following up or continuing the discussion. I know there were a lot of comments flying out there in the chat that I didn't really get to, but mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what everyone thinks. And if you have any burning questions that you didn't really uh, get answered this time, let's, let's chat, let's figure it out. Um, I, uh, I'm on all social media. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which you can watch my videos on here called the Vortex. And uh, I am frequenting a lot of conferences and other events that uh, are about UFOs and many other subjects, cryptids, the paranormal, and just understanding how we can elevate our own consciousness and studies and the, the breakthroughs of science. So that's all fascinating to me. Or if anyone knows of any events going on, I'd love to hear what's happening. I, I, I'm based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I like traveling. I like getting out. As I said earlier, my main job, I'm a musician. I'm a private music teacher. So that's what I do mostly every day. But sometimes when I get the weekends off, I like to go have fun and search around and explore the unexplained and see how we can get together and find out what's next. So, um, you know, I'm accessible online and uh, there are a lot of events coming up. I've got the Edinburgh UFO Festival and Conference weekend after next. It's a long running, pretty fun event. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. We have a few more UFO events, but later on, um, I've got some cryptid events coming up. And I think that that's always fun because that's another fascinating topic that maybe we can get together mm -hmm. and all of us talk about uh, at another time as well. That sounds awesome. I, I greatly appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. I'm glad to be really with you guys. Been. Thanks, Grizzly and Justin. You know, I think it's what you guys are doing is really important right now. People really need this type of a platform and uh, I just appreciate it. And, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here with you guys and your awesome audience for those who are here watching, listening and participating live. And for those yet to come who get to check it out after the fact. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's keep in mind. We make new discoveries every day. We won't know if we don't go. So let's work together to find out what's next. Absolutely. From coast to coast and around the world. That's a wrap. Godspeed everybody. Until next time. Good night. We'll see you on the next show. Bye-bye.